The vision received was that of blood cells traveling throughout the body, supplying the much-needed oxygen and other nutrients to the differing members of the body to fulfill their purpose. Once the blood cells are spent, they must return back to the heart to be refilled before being sent out again and fulfill their purpose. Hello, and welcome to our Father's Heart podcast. Uh, hopefully you have been listening over the last few episodes and you would know that we are in the midst of a series entitled Topics for Young Adults. Uh, we're trying to address um, some topics that young adults that are in high school or are in college are grappling with as they kind of start their independent life outside of their family's home and they're on their own and and uh, things that that are affecting them or or are tempting them or are influencing them. And so we started out with piercings and tattoos. We went into music. And for the last two episodes, we went into relationships, courting, dating, leading to the ideal, which is marriage. Um, today's episode is going to be on divorce. And it's kind of a shorter um episode than the previous ones, which has kind of bothered me for uh, the last few weeks as I've been preparing these episodes for you all. Um, And I just felt that there was more to say. And so I recently listened to a podcast that I thought some had some very enlightening information that I want to start this particular episode and share with you uh, that information. Um, And then I kind of want to I guess, get it on a personal level um, and basically kind of share my experience because I am the fruit of a divorced family. And I want to share with you some of those experiences. But before I do that, I would like to start with sharing what I heard recently. So I was listening to a podcast recently. The podcast by The Morning Wire, you can look it up. It was from October 15th, 2022. And it was, it was talking about the happiness gap. It was talking about some other things, but it started with at least the first five or six minutes started with the happiness gap. And what that means is uh, they were talking about surveys that were taken by the American family. Uh, or basically the American Family Survey, and and what were some of the notable findings that they found concerning the connection between political ideology and happiness? Now, this podcast is not about politics, uh, but sometimes we may, you know, talk about politics or culture um, because it has such a, a kind of a powerful impact on our society and our paradigms of thought as a whole. Um, so I wanted to share with you some of the things that, that this podcast particularly shared with me because I thought they were very enlightening and it really has to do with marriage. So it further on went in to say that those who identified as liberal were about 15 points less likely to be completely satisfied with their lives than their conservative counterparts. The happiness gap between the left and the right, that isn't not, that, that isn't new news. That has literally been going on for the last 50 years. 
50 years, they have been taking satisfaction surveys about overall life. It started in about 1972. And over that period from 1972 to now, the right or conservatives has tended to be happier than the left or the liberals. And this, this data and these surveys have been taken through diverse polling companies and the surveys that they conduct over the years. So that, that there really isn't a, a question as to the reality of this. This is just what has been recorded consistently through different polling companies, you know, for the last 50 years. The explanation, the why, has been the ever-changing theory over the years. Sociologists have looked at this data, looked at these surveys, looked at all of these questions, and what are these numbers? What is the data showing them? And, and they try to explain, well, why are conservatives more happy? Well, is it this? Is it that? Is it the other? And, and some might say, well, you know, it's the views on, on meritocracy. Uh, you know, conservatives have a sh- strong view on meritocracy, and it's basically a system in which persons are rewarded in advance based upon their ability and or their talent. Uh, some other explanations is, well, conservatives are more religious leaning. Uh, you know, they have strong religious beliefs, and there's definitely a strong correlation to happiness when you have religious beliefs. But the latest research that has come out has shown that there's some differences between men and women that may prefer, that may provide, excuse me, further insight in explaining the why. So I want to share some of that information with you. Both liberal men and women are less happy than their conservative compliments. That, that, that's been the, the, the running uh, narrative, uh, based upon these surveys over the last 50 years. That's really unquestioned. But what was found out more recently, as I guess as they delve deeper into it, is that liberal women are much less happy. I mean, significantly less happy. And they looked at the measures of mental health and, and they found that the liberal women scored 20 points lower than women on the right. That's pretty significant. 20 percentage points less than women on the right. And so this podcast uh, interviewed a particular uh, sociologist from the University of Virginia. His name is Brad Wilcox. And he uh, gave this explanation that it basically comes down to two areas. And specifically, there are two family factors. They are being married and being satisfied with your family. And he looked at in his explanation is that only 36% of liberal women say they are, quote, completely satisfied with their families. Now, you compare that with conservative women, and conservative women are showing a 62% completely satisfied record. There's no other gap in family satisfactions as large as this one. That's tremendously significant. There's only 36% of liberal women that say that they're completely satisfied with their families compared with 62% of conservative women. Also, conservatives are 26% more likely to be married than liberals. And they are more likely 
to have children. It is also known that parents show themselves are more ha- or are happier than non-parents. That's that's been found in the data over the years. Uh, he he noted modern progressives are statistically less inclined toward traditional marriage and family. He notes that the question of marriage and family, they do affect men's happiness. They do affect men's mental health as well, but not as much as it affects women. And this is where the greater disparity lies. So he noted left-leaning women are immensely affecting these scores that make the overall comparison between conservatives and liberals very significant and disproportionate as they are. With over 50 years of data, it appears that happiness divide has dovetailed loosely with marriage rates during the same time. So as the gap in marriage has been growing, well, so has the happiness divide. And so Wilcox says that, you know, the problem for progressive is that they're not partaking of the benefits of having a spouse, the benefits of living a family-centered lifestyle, because a lot of the values and virtues that they embrace don't point them directly in the direction of families. Now, that's a quote. So the other question was, why does it appear that religion is so important? Well, religious faith tends to promote marriage. It tends to promote family. And as I said before, religion or religious beliefs has always correlated with happiness. And it didn't matter whether your religious beliefs were Protestant or Catholic or Jewish or Muslim or Pentecostal or or whatever religion out there, if you had it, a, a particular religion that you abided in, it usually correlated with greater happiness. So that's basically what, what the podcast was sharing, just some of the data and some of the surveys and, and what's being talked about now as to why is there's great dis- disparity between conservatives being happy and liberals uh, being happy. And so I, 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 I look at all of that data and I, and I think about this podcast that we were trying to release and I, I observe or I, I kind of detect that the greater number of broken families in our society results in the greater risk of the deterioration of that society. And when families are broken in a society, it basically weakens the nation as a whole. I've been taught for numbers of years that families are the foundational building block of all human societies. Now, that's what the podcast shared. I I, want to make this personal because I come, I was raised up in a broken family. If you've listened to the podcast recently, you probably already know that. I've shared that in different uh, podcasts, different testimonies um, that, that we've had over, over the course of our episodes, and you can review those. But I have to go back to it, and I have to kind of share my thoughts and insights on, on marriage you know, before we share this, this segment on, on divorce. So my personal experiences or thoughts are 
basically attributed, I feel, to the result of my parents' divorce and what I experienced. For me, be, I believe that because my parents divorced and my father, uh, my dad lived separate from me in New York State and I lived in Florida, um, my parents divorced when I was four years old and that's where I kind of didn't see my dad for several years. Um, I think I started seeing him around seven years old. I would visit him in the summers. First time I went to visit him was only for two weeks because my mom was not keen on, on me going on an airplane by myself and visiting my dad. And, um, so over the years, as I continued visiting him over the summer, I guess she got more comfortable. And so I got to stay longer. So that two weeks expanded to maybe a couple more weeks. And, and then eventually it became the whole summer. And I thoroughly looked forward to those times. Not that I, I disliked my mother. I loved my mother. I loved mom. But I missed my dad. I, I really, really missed my dad. It was a, uh, a hole that would only get filled by visiting him in the summer. Um, but one of the results of being raised up in a broken family is that I did not have a suitable consistent, regular father figure in my life on a day-to-day basis. If I only saw my dad in the summers, and again, it only started with two weeks out of the year. That means for 50 weeks, I was with my mom. It's not that I disliked my mom, but not having my father, my dad, in my life on a day-to-day basis resulted in some fruits in my life that I think that if my dad were around, I would not have experienced many of the things that I did. So I, I want to share with you some of those things. Because I lived with my mom for most of the year, like I said, about 50 weeks, you know, reduced down to maybe 48, 46, because I would went to, to see my dad for two months. Um, my mom had other husbands over the years and boyfriends over the years. And they were absolutely abysmal role models. Absolutely. I'll start with her second husband. I know his name. I, 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 I've, I've never forgotten his name. Um, he was a Panamanian. Um, not that Panamanians are bad, but he just particularly in this instance was a Panamanian. And be, I, I believe because of his influence in my life and being um, my mother's second husband, obviously a lot of times children will have, um, I guess, sort of resentment, especially if they still know their father, they'll have some sort of resentment for the new guy, the new dad. Um, but I, I don't believe that's why I uh, he was an abysmal role model. But I believe because of this second husband that I developed a deep resentment of bitterness and distrust for men, specifically for men who were either married to my mom or boyfriends of my mom. Why? 
it, it wasn't it wasn't initial it wasn't natural i mean there may have been some initial because he's not really my dad um but i mean i i was very young i i, I when my mom got married to her second husband i was probably it was definitely between kindergarten and second grade and that's when they got married or it was like maybe third grade because we moved. See, I know because I know where I was, where I lived based upon my grade. So for kindergarten, first and second grade, I was in Tampa. And then for third, fourth and fifth grade and all the way through high school and college, I was in Miami. So I remember not my age. I remember what grade I was in when some of these things happen. So I was in Tampa when what I'm about to share happened. And in Tampa, that was my kindergarten, first and second grade year. And I can honestly tell you that I was exposed at a very early age to sexual occurrences. Think about that. Think about how old you are as a kindergartner, as a first grader, as a second grader. How old is that? We're talking about four, five, six, maybe seven. I, I was exposed to things I should have never been exposed to. I was exposed to nudity, a live sexual activity. Um, as a kindergartner, first, second grader, I can't imagine that my, that my own children would have been exposed to that. It's something that I really, really worked hard at trying to shield them from any type of unnecessary exposure to that type of topic. Uh, until obviously they were mature and they were ready and it was necessary. But to expose a child to nudity, to live sexual activity at such a young age can do a number on that child and their development and their maturity. Um, being in Tampa, I remember that this second husband or maybe it may have been a boyfriend at the time because I can't really remember when they got married. I just know that they eventually did get married. I know that he brought into the house Playboy magazines, Penthouse magazines, Hustler magazines. I can't remember which which one of the three they were, but they were those type of magazines. They were in our house. And I this the reason why I remember it so vividly because a lot of times my uncles, who were very young, they were maybe five years, six years, a little bit older than me, and my cousins would come to our house in Tampa and they would spend like the weekend over at our house. And I remember when my mom and her husband were not around that they found those magazines. They were in some sort of, you know, dress, a little dresser drawer in our living room and they were looking at the magazines and they were enjoying it as youth would enjoy that type of thing. And I wasn't, I was, I was, I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I, I wasn't even looking at them, but I knew that they were and they kind of chided me. They, they kind of looked down on me. They kind of made fun of me because I wasn't looking into the magazine. I was kind of hiding away behind the couch, trying to find something to play with. And they were just all around laughing it up and looking at all the magazines. And that that's not something you do to young children. But 
I didn't have my real father, my real dad there. And so because of these experience, I think back, I think about who my dad is, who my dad was, and I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty confident that my dad would not have allowed that in my life. And it's not like he was a Christian either. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but he was not that type of person that would expose me to that stuff. And it's not that my mom exposed me on purpose to that, but being that he wasn't my dad, you know, her second husband, I don't think he cared very much about me or what I might be exposed to because, you know, I'm not really his son. But nevertheless, between kindergarten, first and second grade, again, I was exposed to nudity, live sexual activity, and I won't go any further into that, but I was also exposed to penthouse playboy and hustler type of magazines. And the second thing that this second husband exposed me to was I was exposed to domestic violence between third and fifth grade. I was not the victim of that violence, but my mom was. And I remember, and I think I've shared this in a previous episode as I I shared my testimony with others, uh, that I remember we lived in a trailer park. uh, A lot of French Canadians were living there, and he was kind of the person that took care of the trailer park, and we lived in the particular house on the lot. And he was having a fight with my mom, or my mom was having a fight with him, and I guess it began to get physical. And I was so young at the time, think of it, I was a third grader at the very least, and I did not feel powerful enough, strong enough to confront him, to protect my mom. I remember being outside that house, right outside the window, and listening to them arguing and fighting and and listening to the to the noises that were taking place. And, and I, I was outside alone, so angry. So I wanted to protect my mom and, and I was just so young and, and felt helpless, felt like I couldn't do anything. And that resulted in my mom being in a sling. I don't know what he did to her specifically. I know there were bruises on her arm. He may have twisted her arm or, you know, done something that, that, you know, messed up her elbow or her shoulder. I'm not even sure what. I just know she was in a sling. And that was kind of the beginning of that exposure to domestic violence. Um, but that was between my third and fifth grade year. And this relationship with this person ended in divorce because a couple of years later, we had moved from that trailer park. We had moved to a, a better you know, place in town in, in Miami. And one night, um, from what I understand, from what I could kind of gather in my young fifth grade understanding, maybe I was 11, uh, not sure how old I was. Um, he became very angry with her. She was coming home, I guess, from shopping, which was right across the street. And he was accusing her of, I guess, cheating on her with I don't even know how she was shopping for food or something. And uh, I wasn't in the house at the time, but after everything was done, we then left the house uh, to go to her friend's house for protection because she didn't feel safe at home. And I was overhearing her conversations, telling her friend what he had done to her. She had a black eye. 
she had bruises and wounds. And from what I heard, he did stuff to her. Um, and so I was exposed to that at an early age. After that, they got divorced. And so now I'm talking about between fifth and eighth grade. Well, she had boyfriends. And I was exposed during that period of time, regularly exposed to alcohol use, drug use at home, and with extended family on my mother's side. Um, now, usually, I mean, sometimes my, my family might have come over, but more of the time I was going over to where my uncles and cousins were. She always took me to my uncles and cousins on the weekends. I would end up staying over there for like Friday night, Saturday night. And then I guess she would have time with her boyfriends alone without me. I guess that's kind of how it worked. Um, so I stayed with my family, but you know where my family was at, they lived in section eight housing. Many of them were on welfare. Many of them were on food stamps. And um, so I was exposed to things there that, that I shouldn't have been exposed to. Um, with my mother's boyfriends, uh, there was attempted sexual abuse toward me. And um, I, again, was exposed to nudity with those that were under the influence of drugs and alcohol. And uh, that was with my mom and whoever she was with. So eventually, um, you know, boyfriends came and go. There were several. I remember their names. I remember the influence that they had on me. And never of them were, were really any good. Um, and so that's why I say that there was never like a really good um, stepfather that could have been a good role model for me. Um, but my mom, between eighth and, and eighth grade and my first two years of college, she met a, a man who she eventually married. And that's how I got my first, well, my only sister, <laughs> my only sister uh, in 1990. But, you know, they were in a relationship beforehand and I had issues with him because of all of the other issues that I experienced in the past with different boyfriends. I, I kind of didn't trust him, didn't like him. Um, but eventually I, you know, I got a sister out of it. And, um, but through those years that she was with her last husband, there was, I would, I, there was still exposure to alcohol and drug use. Um, with him, I felt like I was left out of the family or pushed out of the family. Um, and there were things that I, that I kind of were exposed to then that, that weren't good. And so that's kind of the experiences that I've had living up and being raised up in a broken family. And. That doesn't deter or take away from the fact that I loved my mom and that my mom loved me and she did the very best that she could. Um, but sometimes the very best that she could was not really good for me. And as a result, my mom died at the ripe young age of 40 years old. And at the time, I was at the riper young age of 20 years old. So for me, Looking back on all that I've experienced in my life and my youth up to that time, I believe I, I experienced all of that 
because I really didn't have a solid everyday father figure in my life. My dad was not there. He was in <laughs> up the East Coast uh, on the north side of, of the United States, and I was on the south side on the East Coast of the United States. And there's only so much of an influence that he can have on me, especially since I only saw him 10 months, or excuse me, two months out of the year. And I miss my mom. I think what I miss most about her is uh, making her smile, making her laugh, um, trying to, you know, tell her jokes and and and, you know, I I was that that kind of person that would uh, you know try to bother my mom, but I wasn't being mean. I was just you know. Trying to love on her in, in, in a way that, that kind of would make her laugh, make her smile, you know, joking with her. Um, you know, I can even tell you some responses that she had <laughs> toward me that were not very vulgar. I mean, they, they, they were kind of vulgar, but because of the way that she was doing it and how she <laughs> sang me a response that was kind of vulgar. Um, it was just endearment. It was, it, it was just her way of uh, showing affection and showing that, you know, I'm amusing her to some extent. But what I long most about her not being alive is that she didn't get to meet her grandkids. And I think, you know, I don't believe in what ifs. I, I'm a very, uh, the way that things happened was the way that they were supposed to happen. Uh, I don't believe that there's like multiverses, which is very popular now <laughs> nowadays. Uh, you know, I don't believe in that stuff. But at the same time, God gave us an imagination. And I just believe that if things were different, if my mom and dad had stayed together, I don't think a lot of that stuff that I just shared with you would that w- would have hit me as it did. Um, I may have been exposed to other things. Uh, that, that, that's, that's, that's a possibility as well. But nevertheless, um, I think because I was raised in a broken family that there was a lot of bad fruit out of it. There's just no way to, to, to beat, beat around that. And so, you know, after my mom died, I've shared this in other podcasts, you know, the Lord really, really started getting a hold of my attention. He had a bit of it, but not, not where it needed to be. And the best thing the Lord did for me, aside from baptizing me in his spirit, was to restore my life in marriage and family. I have a faithful and virtuous wife. We have been happily married and together for over 24 years. And over the course of that time, we have had three wonderful children. And there truly is a foundation of authentic, common faith. There is a genuine, sincere love for the Lord and for one another. Which isn't to say that we have not had any turmoil and extremely challenging situations, but I believe we are still here. We are still enjoying life with each other because Jesus has kept us by his grace. 
in spite of our own weaknesses, in spite of our own failures, in spite of our own sin, and in spite of all the things that the enemy tried to expose us to early on to abort the plans that God had for me, for my wife, for my children. We're not survivors. We're overcomers. We have up to this point have overcome in Jesus every obstacle that has been set before us. And our trust and our faith in him has only grown stronger and stronger and stronger. We have gone from faith to faith, from glory to glory, which is not to say we did not have our valley experiences because we definitely did. But there's so much to be thankful for because he is a God of restoration. And so I want to share with you a song that our family sang together. And I was thinking about this as I was kind of uh, getting these thoughts down on paper that I think would go well to end this segment before we get into the divorce segment of the podcast. Um, and the title of it is called Restoration.
I think it was divorce and remarriage or something. Mm-hmm. Was it divorce and remarriage? Divorce is there, not remarriage. Oh, okay. So it's just divorce. Yeah. Okay. So divorce. Sorry about that. So what are, what are we? Oh, okay. I see why. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have anything to share on that? Um, divorce. God hates it. <laughs> God hates it. Yeah. That's pretty succinct. Yeah. Uh, There's so much damage involved um, to both parties, and then God forbid they have children to the children also. Um, I think of when Jesus was talking and the Pharisees were asking, oh, you know, where was the Sadducees? Asking, oh, you know, what happens um, uh, in terms of divorce? Why did Moses allow this? And yes. Jesus says, that was in Mark 10. Because of the hardness of your heart. That's right. That, that's why. But it wasn't supposed to be like this. Mm-hmm. The intention was supposed to be the one man and the one woman. Mm-hmm. And that's how it was. They came, they came and created a covenant agreement, and that was supposed to be upheld. And so you wouldn't divorce your wife just because she burnt your food. Like, that's <laughs> not, you, don't, you don't do that. <laughs> um, and that divorce was set aside in the breaking of covenants. Mm-hmm. But even then, it was still a bad thing. That divorce was not supposed to be like this. Right. 
oh, one and done, that's it. They broke the covenant. Um, so that wasn't God's attention for man and woman. Right. And for those of you that are listening, you can read Mark chapter 10, 1 through 12. It also spoken of briefly in Matthew 5, 31 and 32. Um, I think one of the things that, um, and I'm glad you may mention, I think it was your second point, divorces can be catastrophically traumatic to a family. Mm -hmm. Every single person involved, especially with the children. And, you know, they sometimes say, you know, well, children are really resilient. They'll adapt and all of that stuff. And that's true. They, they are extremely adaptable. They're extremely resilient. But unlike adults, children cope in ways that are very immature and very not healthy for them because they don't know any better. Mm-hmm. So just because it seems like they're resilient and it seems like they're adapting, and I come from a from a from a divorced family, uh, where my mom left my dad when I was around four years old, um, and they got divorced. Um, he tried to maintain the relationship with me, and I think as best as he could, being in New York and I was in Florida, he did a really good job of doing that. But it still took its toll on me, and I shared that on a previous podcast and a previous testimony. Um, it's it's just terribly, terribly difficult. And then, you know, when my mom had her relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship, and I'm not exaggerating, that messes with you. That could, any other person, it could taught them that, oh, that's the way life should be. Mm-hmm. It didn't for me because I was going in Christian schools and so I was taught better, you know, but there's so many broken families uh, that are in the kingdom of God, yet God is able to redeem and restore in ways that we you can't imagine. Um, but he is, he's really able to do that. So yes, divorce is, is something that man made up um, to kind of get an escape clause. It's like a, a natural fleshly effort to, to get out of something like, uh, you know, go, Abraham, go ahead and sleep with, you know, what's her name? Hagar, you know, to get this promise fulfilled. It's like, no, no. But we, he allowed that, but he, it's not like he sanctioned and said, you know, kind of like, you know, when, uh, when, uh, God wanted to be supreme authority over the children of Israel. And then with Samuel, what did the children of Israel choose? We want a king. No, no, we want a king. He allowed it. That wasn't his intention. Mm-hmm. I wanted you to listen for me directly, not go through a king, not be like the rest of the nations around you. That was not the intention. So, no, divorce is, is not uh, uh, sanctioned by God, but, you know, it happens. We understand it. We recognize it. We all live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen society, and it's going to happen. But within the kingdom of God, it should not be happening, especially if both of them are being led of the Spirit of God. Now, it does say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I think you mentioned that earlier about, you know, there's, there's going to be some unequal unions. There's going to be one spouse that is a Christian. There's going to be one spouse that is not a Christian. And just because after you both got married, uh, one of you became born again, that doesn't mean, oh, I got an escape clause. I can get out of this. No, sorry. You made a covenant with them, whether you knew me or not. And you need to stick with them because you are going to be um not the person that saves them, because the scriptures that say, don't think that you're supposed to, to save them, but you're going to be able to communicate in a more direct manner your God to them. 
the woman, meek, chaste behavior, trying to implore. Um, and then the man as well. If you were the one born again and she's not, man, you could be the Jesus to her that she never knew. Mm-hmm. And so there's a great responsibility in that. So there's not a, there's not a quick get out of jail pass for you in that respect. Um, does anybody have any other thoughts on divorce? Well, I can share. You don't mind if I share. I don't mind. Okay. You were the one with that, that, that was doing this to me. Well, Okay. What does that mean for our listeners? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, So I, um, when I came in, when I started to, uh, when someone started ministering to me about God, I was in a previous marriage. That person left me, and that was my crisis that drew me to, that brought me to the Lord. And in the midst of that, and I was, I would say I was pretty carnal. Like I wouldn't be like super holy or anything, but the Lord had already been calling me because there were things that I said and I wanted that most Christians told me, well, no, the Bible says that, you know, if you're unequally yoked, you know, all that. So in my heart, I prayed that God would restore for a long time and he, and it didn't happen. But I tell people that in that time, the Lord upheld me. I learned how to do spiritual warfare like nobody's business. Like I was Mm -hmm. thrown into that realm of praising and doing Jericho marches, all that. Um, I did. But I believe that the Lord was teaching me things in the middle of it and also keeping me and preserving me. Because I had to take a stand against the Christian world. A lot of people that I fellowshiped with were telling me, no, this, you know, he already sinned. He's disqualified, you know. And I said, I'm, I am not going to take that step. So eventually, over a period of time, probably three years, because he moved in with another woman and everything, but it took not long for him to finally divorce me. And it was really when I said, I'm not going to let you just keep coming in and out of my life because that's not what God wants from me. I'm selling myself short. So I believe that um, I struggled with it because then I thought, well, okay, I'm, I'm done. I, I I'm just going to have to be single. And um, then the Lord gave me that prophecy that he was going to um, put me into marriage. And there was something with the previous relationship. I don't even think I've told you this, that I was thinking about it the other day. I was not a Christian, but we would be talking about, well, if you left me or I left you, and you know, what would you find? And the person told me, I think I'm going to find that you're going to be super blessed and you're going to be living in Georgia, which I was in Dallas. So it's like, what? what? I'm just like, I know. And I was thinking, I was thinking about Hold that. on a second. <laughs> this is the first I've ever heard oh, of this. I need names. Because I don't know who you're talking about because I feel like I got lost. Who are you talking about? My ex-husband, honey. Okay. So you were having a conversation with him? Yeah. I mean, it was like. About splitting up. Yeah. Before you were having problems. Well, no, I think we were heading into the splitting up and I was trying to lightly banter. You know how you do when you're trying to cope with something. And and he's like, you're going to be, I was saying, you're going to be jet setting because he was like really big into the, you know, the. the It was bougie. Bougie, very. And and he said, no, you're going to be in Georgia. You're going to be established and you're going to be blessed. And I thought about it and I thought, you know, I thought, I I don't know what I thought, but (laughs) the other day I was walking and the Lord, the Lord reminded me of this. And I'm like, Lord, 
you were telling me this a long time ago. <laughs> I mean, it's weird. It really That's is weird. weird. Yeah, that is Especially weird. <laughs> I agree. I've never heard this story but, before. But, it's, but it's, I'm not. But it, it's like the Lord reminded me, and it's like that's exactly what my life is. I mean, I'm not like in a mansion with a you know a jet or yeah, you're not jet setting. I'm not jet setting. That's true. But I'm blessed. <laughs> I'm I'm an established that's family, and I'm in a house, and I mean. There's just so many things, you know, honey, our testimony of so many things that would not see myself in Georgia ever, you know, and then here I am in Georgia. So I just, I don't know. I just, wow. it's really interesting how God reminds you of something from way back. Um, you know, something I get that, that he reminds you of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like it was like, in it, because one thing, when I started coming to the Lord and I was so broken, y'all, I mean, I had a pastor say, well, I had several pastors say that. You know, I had a big jar, you know, because he he stores every tear in a bottle. They're like, no, ma'am, you've got a big jar up there, you know, because I just be like, <laughs> I was like crying all the time. I would go up to the front and it's snot and gross, disgusting and just always crying. Every altar call, every prayer, every Bible study, everything. I was a wreck <laughs> because I just was overwhelmed with God's goodness in the midst of all the suffering that I was going through. Um, but, um, I just, I just, there were times when he would remind, he would show me when I didn't know him, when I was a little kid, when I was struggling, when things were going on, when I was crying, mm -hmm. I saw, I saw him there, like in a memory that he was there. And I, that blew my mind. The Lord was always with me is what he was showing me from the day you were born. Well, from the day you're in your mother's womb, mm -hmm. he showed me that. And I know I, that was one of the, one, the only vision I've ever had in my whole life was in church. I was going to the front to an altar call and I saw Jesus holding me mm -hmm. and he was holding me like a, a mom, holds, you know, like, like, like this, I was laying up and he was holding me. And I just remember I, I cried, mm -hmm. um, but it was like, it broke me. Um, a lot of things were that day, somebody prayed for me and a lot of things were broken up, but yeah. So there's redemption. There is redemption. Um, the Lord reminded me also of Abigail, you know, she was married to mm -hmm. a very foolish man. Who was, oh, yeah. <laughs> she went to plead his cause that God would destroy all of the, uh, David wouldn't come and destroy all of them. And then, um, he dropped dead. <laughs> To <laughs> the Lord, like, so um, I had to reckon with that, and I think Jay shared with me, or we talked in a Bible study that um, when you're married and you're not in the faith, you know, it's there isn't um, there isn't that covenant. You, it is a covenant, but it's not. So it's like a dead the person is dead because they're they're dead to God kind of deal. It's not that I had to do all that rationale, but I really struggled with that topic a few times, especially when my kids brought it up because um, they were wondering, well, mom, the Bible says, you know, and it's like, um, okay, are you going to talk about that? No. About what? You don't remember that conversation where you were charged, you were asking me a lot of questions about, wait a minute, you're divorced. Oh, because I had to tell them I was divorced because we were going to go oh, yes. to Dominican yes. Republic and a lot of people over there were possibly going to say something to my kids. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, yeah. Nope. I want them to hear it from me mm -hmm. and we're going to have a conversation. So they yeah. have big questions. Yeah, that was the, wait, what? Moment yeah. For the kids? I, yeah, it was. It was yeah. awkward <laughs> to say the least. But anyway, I talked more than I meant to. That's all right. That's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Mm -hmm.
thus is the ministry of our Father's heart through us. Our utmost desire is to be in the Father's heart, to know the Father's heart, and express the Father's heart to you. If you appreciate listening to this podcast and were blessed, pass it along to someone else by text, email, or word of mouth in the hopes that they might be positively impacted as you were. If you are interested in supporting our efforts, we would ask you to consider the following. One, pray for us. Two, leave a positive rating or review with whomever you listen to our podcast with. And three, if you desire to contribute monetarily, you can do so at paypal.me slash jbenjesus or cash app dollar sign jbenjesus or venmo jbenjesus that's j b e n j e s u s god bless